We're continuing our series on 1 Peter this morning. So if you have your Bible or electronic counterpart with you this morning, um, please will you turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. And we're going to be reading verses 1 to 8. Um, Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture it says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now, to you who believe, this stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. Who can tell me what a metaphor is? A comparison, yeah. I mean, I can read you a definition, but frankly, it's a rubbish definition. (laughs) I was just hoping someone had a better one. (laughs) A metaphor is a figure of speech in which a word or phrase that ordinarily designates one thing is used to designate another, thus making an implicit comparison. When I refer to Belinda as the apple of my eye, And she is, by the way, in case you're listening, darling. I'm in no way referring to fruit. (laughs) It's a metaphor. If I say it's raining cats and dogs, I don't mean that carnivorous animals of various sizes are falling from the sky. Okay, it's a metaphor. If I say I'm sailing a sea of troubles, large bodies of salt water are not involved. Okay? It's a metaphor. This passage offers us four stones, each of which is a metaphor. There is the living stone, there is living stones, and as we'll see, there is a difference. There is the cornerstone, and there is the stumbling stone. We would probably call it a stumbling block today. So construction in biblical times was generally of mud brick or stone. Mud brick was readily available and cheap to make. 
by leaving mud and chopped straw to dry in the sun, held together in a wooden frame. Low cost, not particularly durable. One second. Stone had to be used once a building got to a reasonable height. As the mud and the straw bricks crumbled, they gave way when subjected to compression. When they were squeezed from the top, they became dry mud. Cut or dressed stone, on the other hand, was very expensive, but strong and durable. And because the cost was because of the cost, it was used in the construction of major public buildings such as the temple. Sometimes it was used in the homes of the very, very rich. If you were building with stone, you were using the best. Construction in stone required skill and expertise. The stone blocks had to be quarried, worked to become smooth, and then even polished. Okay. Just a little note here for uh, Phil. Um, this is not uh, a rock sermon, Phil, when it comes to choosing the title. We maybe go for divine architecture. That's all right. So the living stone. Stone in the Hebrew of the Old Testament is pronounced aben, and in the Greek of the New Testament is pronounced lithos. When you look at the Bible and you look to see what word was used, you'll find it was the word for stone. (laughs) In the Bible, stone pretty much means stone. And you could reasonably observe that a stone is not alive. It is dead. Stone dead, in fact. (laughs) I got you. It says says here in brackets, pause for groan. Peter tells us in verse 4 that the living stone he's writing about is a metaphor for a person. And in verse 5 that the person is Jesus Christ, the resurrected Jesus Christ, who was dead but is now alive. And we read that this living stone has suffered rejection on not one but two levels. Verse 4 points out that this Jesus, this living stone, has had a general rejection, a rejection by humans, <coughs> by mankind. Why? Maybe he was unsuitable for what they wanted to build. Uh, perhaps he didn't fit in with their plans. Uh, perhaps they were building with other materials, uh, mud, for example. Perhaps they were just not willing to face the cost. Secondly, verse 7, which is itself a quotation from Psalm 118, it points out that this Jesus, this living stone, has been rejected by the builders. Some commentators, Midrash, uh, Pusey, and the gloriously named Dean Plumtree, suggests that this famous line is founded upon an actual event, 
from the building of Solomon's temple. Um, the method of construction was that the stone was cut and dressed at the quarry and then was transferred to be built into the walls, um, transported there. So they didn't work the stone uh, at the site of the temple. The first stone that came down from the quarry, it, it was large and it was of an unusual shape. It had been marked and cut in the quarry and the builders of the temple didn't know what it was for. They didn't know what to do with it. So, <clears throat> in a manner that builders in modern times would clearly still understand, they shoved it in a corner. Uh, it got hidden by debris and rubbish. But it was afterwards found to be the stone on which the completeness of the structure depended. The chief cornerstone where the two walls met and were bonded together. So when they talk about a stone that the builders rejected, this is an image that would be understood at the time that this book was written. So who are the builders? Oh, well, certainly the national authorities, the nation builders, if you like, um, who at that time were the persecutors of the churches in Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, to whom the letter was written. But Peter includes these in a vastly broader group in verse 7, to a group called those who do not believe. The differentiator between those to whom Peter writes and their persecutors is all about what their life is founded upon. Then as now, we either found our life upon Jesus Christ, the living stone, or we don't. There's no place of compromise. Because a life just like a building can have only one cornerstone, or the life like the building will be unstable and will undoubtedly fall. To living stones... You also, like living stones, Peter writes, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And we can cross this with a, a very well-known verse from Ephesians 2, starting at 19. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Now together with our passage we've already read from 1 Peter, we can see this, we can draw some conclusions. Number one, Jesus is the living stone, rejected of mankind, but still the chosen one of God. And he is precious in his inherent worth. Two, that believers, us, once dead but now alive, then as now are living stones who constitute the spiritual house. But you'll note, not its foundation. 
And Jesus, the living stone, is the cornerstone of the church. And the verse in Ephesians, it touches upon apostles and prophets. It's not really kind of saying, here is your organisational tree, boys. It's saying, look, Jesus is the cornerstone. We must build on him. Now, for those who heard this letter, the spiritual house it refers to, well, it will be their local church. Um, The words living stone and living stones distinguish the Christian church because it is the spiritual temple of God. And it's distinguished because the temples of the idols and the temple of Jerusalem were built of dead materials. The church of God is built on living. The term priesthood is a reference to the privilege we as Christians have in coming near or approaching God. And the term holy particularly indicates the set-apartness of the believer for God. The spiritual sacrifices acceptable for God, he writes about, are principally the worship and the praise of him. And there was a subtext for the people who got this letter first, which was, in all circumstances. Because them, for them their times were tough. They're an oppressed people. And they're turning to praise and worship under such circumstances was a spiritual sacrifice uh, indeed. And what about us? Okay, we're neither oppressed nor uh, beaten up. Okay, we are not, here we are today, suffering from any particular natural disaster. Um, And yet sometimes it's true, isn't it, that we say, oh, it's it's just hard to praise the Lord at the moment. I have this trouble, I have this problem, Um, I'm finding it tough, it's hard. Now, please don't get me wrong. I'm sure that is legitimate. And I am not speaking to belittle whatever it is you may be going through. But the word of God says that we are called to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. And it does not make uh, exceptions. We spoke right at the start, uh, didn't we, just before the service started. Well, when is it right to praise God? Okay, we had all times and we had now. Okay, and they're both absolutely true. But can I add to that? When you don't feel like it. Okay? Now all of these terms, the term spiritual house, priesthood, holy, spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God, that whole passage um, is it's referring corporately to the churches okay it's not about me or you it's about us okay 
It's very important we understand that because it's about what the local body of believers are and do together. Just as it was then and just as it is now. You can say, oh, it's about the, um, the worldwide church of God, da 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 but it clearly isn't because it was written to a number of specific churches who had specific and difficult circumstances. Now, just to, as an aside, uh, biblical construction methods meant stones were cut at quarries and delivered to site, and they were left with bosses, which is sort of small protrusions, at least on one side. Um, now, this allowed for the easier transport of the pieces to the site, and once there, it allowed for the pieces of stone to be fitted together. Okay? When the Bible talks about we are spiritual stones being built, and there are other um, references to we're being built into a wall and so on, that's really what it's talking about. That each individual Christian okay, has been built to be part of something bigger than his or herself. And in fact, that, that is incorporated into the design. Living stones are meant to be part of a spiritual house, to be fitted together. They are not meant to stand alone. Okay, <clears throat> the juicy bit, verse 1. Uh, there's a note really of some behaviour that has no place in the spiritual house. I don't know what it is about Christians, I know it's true of me, but you know, if I had to sit down with no preparation and do two lists, one of the things that we shouldn't do, and one of the things that we should do, I'm probably more aware of the things we shouldn't do than the things we should. And there's a danger in that, because you spend all your time trying to avoid something instead of trying to participate in something. So what are the things that have no place in a spiritual house? Malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Well, verse 2, and, and <clears throat> I mean, I'm, I'm not going to go into that in any detail, because is there anybody, you know, honestly, who, who thinks any of those have a place in the house of God, the spiritual house, apart from Tim, who's just being awkward. Okay. To verse 2, which gives us things that should be in the spiritual house. The innocence of newborn babies. A baby, <laughs> when it's not filling its nappy or throwing up, um, it, just, it just wants to be. It just wants to be with you. It just wants to be near you. It just wants to be. It does not have an agenda, a baby, except to grow. Okay? In that respect, we are babies and our agenda should be to grow. A strong desire for pure spiritual milk. An appetite for the word of God. The consumption of which drives a trend towards spiritual growth and adulthood. And I, I really like this one. The savouring of walking with Jesus. In a context of eating for enjoyment in the context of having some because it tastes good uh, quite recently Belinda made 
um, experimentally some cauliflower and roquefort soup. And then she baked some homemade rolls to add with it and uh, a pat of unsalted butter. And we had friends around for lunch and Belinda served up this soup. And it was gorgeous. Absolutely the nicest soup I've ever had. It was beautiful. So we all scoffed our soup and our rolls and, uh, and then Belinda said, um, would anybody like any more? Uh, and there was what I can only describe as a genteel scrum to, uh, uh, to get seconds. You see, we wanted more because it tasted so good. Okay? What we weren't going to do is say, oh, no, 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 I've had some of this highly delicious soup. I certainly don't want to enjoy myself anymore. Okay, because I feel I've, I've enjoyed myself enough and I'm now familiar with the taste. And, you know, from my perspective, well, I've tasted and it's, yeah, okay. You know, if I don't want any more, that would be, be greedy. Okay, I have here in my hands a bar of the finest dark, dark German chocolate, which probably means little or oldie. But anyway, their chocolate's really good. <laughs> Okay. <clears throat> Who would like a piece? Oh, look, two pieces stacked together. Anyone else? Yeah, it's a big bar. Anyone? Yeah? Oh, two again. Belinda's going to say, where did all the chocolate go? And I'm going to say, oh, they scoffed it. Okay. You see, from where you're sitting, you can probably hear about the chocolate. You received the message chocolate was available. Um, you could see the chocolate... Um, or at least the, the packaging of it, but you could see that there was chocolate here. You may, if you were sitting near the front, have been able to smell it because it was a particularly fragrant and gorgeous chocolate. And yes, I can smell it on my fingers. Okay. But if you wanted to taste it, you had to come and get it. Okay? If we want a taste of God, we must approach him. We cannot get a taste of God from a distance. Or indeed, Belinda's cauliflower soup. And, uh, and so, uh, to the cornerstone. Here are some definitions of a cornerstone. None of which I made up. I promise you they've been properly uh, uh, researched. A cornerstone is the foundation stone on which the structure rests. A cornerstone is the stone at the extremity of the angle which controls the design of the edifice and is visible. A cornerstone is a stone at the corner of the building uniting intersecting walls. The cornerstone is a keystone 
necessary for the building to be square and true. The metaphor of the Messiah as the cornerstone of what God is building, well, it, it, it's, the Old Testament is just riddled with it, time after time. Um, just two, really. Zechariah 10.4 From Judah will come the cornerstone. From him the tent peg, from him the battle bow, from him every ruler. And Isaiah 28.16 So this is what the Sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone for a sure foundation. The one who relies on it will never be stricken with panic. Uh, as an aside, um, if, you, uh, if you study it, you'll find that the Messiah is referred to in Scripture both as the cornerstone, but also as the capstone. Uh, if, you're, if you're building an arch, I am no engineer, but if you're, if you're building an arch, the capstone is the stone that goes in there. Okay, and it renders the structure support, self-supporting. Okay, it won't now fall in because the capstone is there. It's the last stone of a construction, the one that finishes it. And Jesus, well, he is the cornerstone, the first, and the capstone, the last, the alpha and the omega. So to the stumbling block... The Bible says stumbling stone. I'm going to use stumbling block. One commentator calls it, very poetically, the rock of offence. Um, but I worry about that because it sounds like something Deep Purple may have done. <laughs> we read in Luke 2.34 that when the infant Jesus was being presented to the Lord at the temple, Simeon prophesied this. This child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against. In other words, Jesus was destined to have different effects on different people. To some, well, he would be the cause of their rising and for others, he would be their downfall. 1 Corinthians 1, 22. Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. Now, this means uh, that essentially folk in this room, and indeed any room, uh, are at one side of that equation. Okay? Um, you might not believe in Jesus, uh, his claim upon your life might be misunderstood or disagreed with. You might not accept that he has a desire to know you, but that doesn't mean he'll go away. Indeed, you're going to keep on tripping over him. Some time ago, uh, goodness, it must have been the spring, uh, Belinda laid out uh, outside our, our patio doors some tomato plants and various things in grow bags and, and, and the like. And um, as the, the frosty mornings uh, were occurring, she would go out and she would put plastic sheets over them. I don't know if you do the same. And she would weigh them down with bricks. 
And one particular day, um, uh, I was going to hang some washing out. You see, because I am a new millennium man. Okay. And uh, I opened the doors. You have to step over the, uh, the, the step. It's raised about, about that high. Um, and, and then go out between the two rows of plants and then to the, uh, uh, to the line. And what had happened is during the night, Belinda had put the, the plastic sheets on and uh, it hadn't frosted, the weather had changed, it had blown, so the plastic sheets were now in the middle. Okay. <clears throat> and what I hadn't realised is the bricks were underneath them. So I stepped out okay, on a brick, did a, lost it, and then had one of these falls, I don't know if you've ever done it, I might add just for the record, I didn't drop the washing, that sort of started here, and went over there before I finally, you know, it wasn't balletic. I still have scars on my knees. Okay. <clears throat> the consequences of a trip is you're going to fall, but there can be a delay between the trip and the fall. The clear thing is the fall, well, it's inevitable. Okay. Matthew Henry puts it like this. The same blessed Jesus, who is the author of salvation to some, is to others the occasion of their destruction. <coughs> Those who reject him as a saviour will split upon him as a rock. He won't go away. You can't move him out of your way. Um, that we, we should just be clear that the kind of stone we're talking about is not you know, brick size, it's not a, a pebble. Okay, it can be a block weighing six tons. And it's in the way. Okay? Either Jesus Christ is going to be the cornerstone, or he's going to be the stumbling stone. But it won't be ignored. Won't be ignored. So, this morning I kind of come with, with a bunch of things, really. Um, one is just to say, well, look, uh, if you don't know Jesus, if he's a stumbling stone to you, we would just love to talk to you about that, okay? Uh, myself or Phil, who has a whole row of seats to himself at the back, would, uh, would be delighted to talk to you. That's number one. <coughs> the other thing that's very much on my heart is this, look, Do we want a taste of God this morning? Okay, do we want a, a, a taste of God? Um, the Bible uses the word taste, not meal, lunch, breakfast. It says taste. Come to me and taste. Come to me and have some. Come to me and try it. Okay? And I really have it on my heart this morning that, well, for those who want to, God just would like you to come and taste. And there is no guilt or dishonour in tasting again. Okay, seconds are okay. God is not, the, the presence and the purpose of God is not something we taste once and then walk away because we've had some. Taste, okay. So the two things that I have, I guess, this morning are on the one hand, well, if you don't know the Lord, we would love to talk to you. 
And the other is, well, if you do know the Lord, uh, but you would like to taste more, okay, we'd, uh, we'd like to have a ministry time. 